This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I'm going to share a little bit of, of, of sort of vision this morning, not sort of, of vision of, um, as, a, as a church we've been going through a couple of weeks and months of really asking the Lord, Lord, what are the things that's on your heart? And, um, and so I'm, I'm going to give you sort of like a chicken nugget for, for next year, and we're going to talk through it and, and challenge each other a little bit on it. And especially in the times that we're living, um, there, are, there are so many things that's coming our way. And uh, I have been here, I think, for a couple of years. Um, but looking at the generations coming through, even through the church now, it is, it is very scary. And um, if we as the church are not going to position ourselves correctly, we may miss generations. And so sort of part of that is, is how do we gear ourselves as Christians and believers in this busy world and things that are throwing itself at us. <clears throat> so I want to start with the scripture and then we're going to watch a, a seven-minute clip of a secular guy that explains to us a little bit about how does the millennials work. How many of you here this morning have been born after 1990? Okay, so, so you can start repenting before the, the, as the video shows. Okay, this is not a, a biblical video, this is a, this is a secular guy, so, but, um, <clears throat> but he sort of hits it on the nail, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how should church actually look and what what are the things that we need to sort of change in our individualistic pursuit sometimes uh, where we get so busy so let me read this in acts chapter 2 verse 42 it says and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers and then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and now all who believed were together and had all things in common uh, I think we like the first part, not the second part always, you know, had all things in common and they started to share stuff. They started to live in a place where there is real community and real family. So, so don't worry, we're not going to ask you to, to leave, your, leave your bank card in the foyer. Um, we, we're simply moving to a place where we begin to, we need to shift our minds a little bit um, as to how did the first church work? And what was the focus of that church? But we see that they were, they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. The word was in the center. They had fellowship together, koinonia, breaking of bread. They were praying. The fear of the Lord was, was there. It was part of the, the first church. And, um, and they believed and they were all together. Say all together. Stephen says it's so nice. All together, say together now, okay? And they had all things in common. Um, and and so, so part of our challenge is, is we're growing up where the goalposts have shifted in the, in the community. And mainly because of, because of this. Mainly because of how do we define a relationship? And what are those challenges and what is, what is it going to look like in five or ten years? So we're going to watch this little clip of Simon. I can't remember his surname now. Huh? Cynic. Cynic. It's not. A, doesn't sound like a good surname there. The cynic. 
the cynic, say cynic, Simon Cynic, let's re rename his surname. Okay, have you got that video clip? Okay, let's, let's go for it. We all have that. Put it in their pockets and started to hide it. <laughs> Why did I show that? Because that's the challenge of the generation that we're living in. Not just for younger generations, but people don't know how to really cultivate deep, meaningful relationships anymore. Because of time, because of things happening, and especially with God. Because, hey, how many people sit with their cell phones in their quiet time? How many people is like so distracted and cannot have a deep, meaningful relationship with God? And then also with people around us. And so the, the church is on this verge of either how many, how many people, people and cannot, and cannot have, have a deep, meaningful, meaningful relationship, relationship with, God. with God. Yeah, yeah. And, see, and then it's also... Agreement. That's my double speaking from somewhere. Sure, I didn't know the angel sounded, spoke in my voice. But in any case, so... <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Emphasis. It's, it's, it's confirmed. It's been prophesied. You know, the Bible says if something isn't confirmed, it's not, it's not like... Okay, so... So the challenge is, you and I are living in this time, and, I, and I'm going to speak to the younger people and to the older people a little bit, but God says... Live life together. But what does that mean? If we read these scriptures and we see a community coming together that was so different and so afraid in the one way, but there were, there were certain things that bonded that community together. Not just, it wasn't just a nice social club. They were steadfast in certain things, the Bible says. They, they had to focus. That had to be the center of their lives was the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and going from house to house and prayers there were there were certain things that were, were were unique to that community they were not like we this inclusive club or whatever and um they they were living life together you know and i loved what video shared last week if you didn't listen to their testimony he said hey everybody be in a small group you know because it's easy to say i don't want to be in a small group until the cookie hits the fan <laughs> and who are you going to phone then well, normally the pastor, but he's not always around. <laughs> because if we don't have deep, meaningful relationships that really care for us, then, then we're going to be alone. I actually spoke to a, a guy that was, was here, and um, he was in one of the races, and he, he moved up to Johannesburg. And uh, he said, he thought, he sort of, he, he, he the, especially in his last year, he walked away from the Lord in, in his heart. He didn't tell anybody, but he sort of backslid. And then he went to Johannesburg, and then suddenly he realized, like, all his drinking buddies here in Stellenbosch were never his friends. Then he realized he came to the shock, but actually he realized it was only the church people that really cared for him. That's, that's his words, not mine. Because they kept on phoning him and WhatsApping him while he was in Johannesburg and the rest just didn't care because he couldn't pay for their booze anymore, <laughs> their drinks. So what does that community mean? It means that you and I, and especially, you know, if you're older, yeah, I want to encourage you. We, we need to stand up in a confidence to be those families and to be the parents for younger people. So listen to this in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. 
there was a there was a moment after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this massive move of the Holy Spirit and they're coming together and they're sharing all things and uh, <clears throat> something started to happen is like the church grew and there was this big community and it says now in the, those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So, so here we see this place where there were these tables and food was distributed it was like this massive community everybody was taken care of but now the church grew and they had some challenges because they said like hey, some of these widows they, they're not cared for and then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables therefore brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over the, this business but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So there was, the Bible talks about a multitude of disciples coming together. And now they've got a church crisis. They've got a community crisis. There's certain people that's neglected and other people are focusing. And the apostle says, guys, let's, you know, we have, we have a problem. We, we need to connect in the word and we need to make sure that the apostle's doctrine, we need to make sure the doctrine is is clear because we're living in days where there's a lot of challenges but but we're going to choose a couple of guys and and we have just some requirements they they basically need to be have a good reputation integrity but they need to be full of the holy spirit <laughs> i think like but that's a bit strange because hey, they're just serving tables they're just ushering at the door they're just the sound man you know they, they, what is the requirement for those people? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's so amazing. Listen to this, what happened. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, don't call your children that, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the disciples. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So, so we see the separation of these guys. But it wasn't, wasn't like, okay, the preachers are the most important ones. They are so anointed. No, no. The guys serving the tables were full of the Holy Spirit. And they ministered full of faith and power, did great wonders and great signs. The moment when they laid hands on people, great signs and wonders started to happen because they set people apart and said, okay, although you're doing this and you're doing that, this isn't greater than that one, but each one has got a work to do. Each one has got a gift to bring. And, and the moment when the church started to realize like we are a community that takes care of each other, and we're going to set people apart for certain things, for certain places of serving. For, you know, and there's no distinction who's better or who's worse. Or like, oh, you know, the kiddies church, they, they just, let's just keep them busy while we have real church. No, no, no. The children's church teachers should be the people full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and ministering in power. The ushers, the people making the coffee. And, and so we see this dynamic in the church. The moment when that started to happen, the church exploded. The church just grew and multiplied. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I believe it with all of my heart. God has prophesied it three years ago that in this coming year, we're going to see a revival 
among young people and in Stellenbosch, I, I specifically believe, I, I trust it includes all churches, but I stand in faith that it's going it's to happen here. That was a pastor from another place and it was confirmed twice. He said three years, that was two, two and a half, almost two and a half years ago, he said three years from now, you need to make yourself ready. And this is what this sermon is about, is making ourselves ready and preparing our hearts. But when God starts to move, if we're not in the right position, then what begins to happen is we can miss God. <laughs> and that's what happened here. The church grew and then everybody was set apart and everybody said, okay, guys, it's all hands on deck. But you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And then something we almost miss is that these guys that took the tables, they had to serve in the tables, there was this almost ceremony of bringing them out and laying hands on them. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we're going to lay hands on a lot of people in the future. Because, you know, one of the basic foundations in Hebrews is the laying on of hands. The setting apart of people. Consecrating people unto the work of the Lord. And not just the people that preach in front or dance in front or sing in front. But when you lay hands on people, you set them apart and you say, what you're doing is holy, it's consecrated. You're doing it unto God. So, so we, then it means that the church isn't a bunch of consumers coming in to say, oh, I'm sitting here this morning because they sang that song three times. Three times. I don't know why they always repeat the song. <sighs> Over and over again. These, these people, can't they just sing it once? Get on with the next song, you know? And, and, and have you realized that that second box there on the stage, is, it's not pointing in the right direction. The light is shining at a 45 degree. <gasps> these people. And there's a cable. Did you realize there's a cable hanging over the stage? <sighs> you know? But the amazing thing is we get so critical about stuff that really doesn't matter. And then what the church needs to do sometimes is the church needs to just spike up the services and be more entertaining and we just need to have a bigger show. But there's a life together. God, there's a release that God wants to do and we see it here in Scripture. And part of that is impartation. Listen, listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. Part of the life of the first church was people realized that God has given them gifts and they can impart it to other people. And we see some powerful principles on impartation in scripture. You know, Peter and these guys walk up to the temple and then they come to the gate beautiful and then what happens is there's these, this guy sitting there and then he says money and possessions, silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have we give to you in the name of Jesus. And then they take his hand, lift him up, and he gets healed immediately. <laughs> says, money. Now, now, just a couple of chapters before that, everybody brought everything to the apostles' feet. A couple of chapters after that, this is, well, we don't have money. There's other people managing that. But what we do have, we give to you. Rise up and walk. The devil wants to rob you and I from ever coming to spiritually import because there's a gift it's it's very biblical and it's all over the book of acts all over scripture and listen to this what paul writes to the thessalonians he says so affectionately longing for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of god so we need to start with the gospel of god the gospel for the unsaved person 
that brings him to justification, brings him to know God. The gospel for the saved person means sanctification, to bring him closer to God. So the gospel isn't just for unsaved people. The gospel brings unsaved people to salvation. But for saved people, the role of the real gospel is sanctification. And that's why so many people miss it in the prosperity gospel. So many people miss it in the grace gospel because it, it misses the whole essence of the center of the gospel, which is sanctification, making you holy as God is holy. Can I get an amen? Okay, so, so God prospers us, God bless us. But if you preach a consumer gospel, there's no sanctification. There's no repentance. There's no move towards holiness. So, so and I'm saying it frankly, if you're in a place like that, then move away. It's not the gospel. You must change. I must change. I'm, sometimes I feel like a worm. And do you know why? Because I am a worm. <laughs> Some people say, oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. You are such a good person. Then I think like, if Jesus was around, he would probably have said like, there's no one good except my father. Because only he defines good, but you are not good. Sorry if I offended you, but that's what scripture says. There's nothing good in you. Henku, there's nothing good in you. Did you know that? Sorry. Now some people say like, okay, I'm going to use this. Yeah. You bad worm. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 don't you say that. But just in your own heart, you know, towards God. Oh, Peter, Peter should have heard this, you know. Oh, that other friend of mine. I must go and tell him. The pastor said, you're not good. Or tell your husband afterwards, you're not good. No, 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 we're not going to use it against each other. But in essence, if you and I think that we're good, when we stand before God, we'll fall into spiritual pride. Because there's nothing, everything we have, our works, everything is like filthy rags before God. Don't think because you and I tithe or because we come to church that we're good. We're not. We've only been justified by Jesus. Can I get an amen? But here we see Paul, he says, look here, I don't just want to bring you gifts. Because there's a lot of people in church, I, say, hey, I want to give, I, I bring my gifts, it's about my gifts that I bring. But Paul says, yeah, but we want to impart also our own lives. <laughs> and this is where I want to talk to some of the older people. <laughs> you have lots to give. Uh, I spoke to a lady. I'm just checking if she's here. She won't mind, but I'm not going to mention her name. But she was, I sort of threw her in, into the deep end a couple of weeks ago on, to just come and help training in in, our lead, in one of the leadership classes. And, um, and afterwards she came to me and she said to me, I connected with these two girls and it was, I just, I, I thought I'm going to drink coffee with them. And I sort of, we went to drink coffee with this one girl and it was, I, I was so nervous because I thought like, they're going to ask me these big spiritual questions and it's going to be so hectic and I'm, gonna, I don't, I'm not going to have the answer and all of that stuff. And then they just asked me questions about life. And it was so amazing. Something changed inside of me when I realized I actually have so much to give. Hello. <laughs> if you're married here today or if you've been married even and you went through a tough time, you've got so much to give. But part of the church should be, I must learn to not just import gifts to people, I must import who I am to people. <laughs> 
And that's so beautiful in, in the first church. It was, it was part of their daily lives. They laid hands on people. They prophesied over people. They spoke God's will over people. And so there was such a freedom to be, be a really godly community because people could connect in a way that wasn't just a social nice club. It wasn't just nice because the coffee was nice. It was because the presence of God was in their midst and God spoke. The word of God was there. So you and I have to ask God and all the people ask God, say, Lord, show me what you have given me. Because <laughs> that's what Peter and these guys said. Well, money and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we're going to impart it to you. Rise up. Sure. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus taught the disciples. Now, they were not spirit-filled. And when he sent them out before his face in agreement and all that stuff, he says, when you're going to a city, find a house. That receives you. And, and when they receive you, leave your peace there. If they don't, then walk away, shake off the dust, go on. But find a man of peace. Find a place, a home of peace. How do you leave your peace there? He doesn't say leave my peace there. He says leave your peace there. It means that what God has imparted, the moment when you and I walk into a place, we can impart. We can leave a legacy. God has placed it in us because we know Christ. But the devil wants to rob us because he wants you just to focus on yourself. He says, I'm so busy, I can't import anything, I'm not good. I need to sort out my life first before I can give. Now the Bible says, freely you've received, now freely give it away. I've seen people that's been through the hardest times in their life and, and they, they just think like, I've got nothing to give. And then God does the most amazing miracles through them. Because God is not looking for the perfect. He's looking for the broken. He's looking for the surrendered. Those who have surrendered. Amen? Uh, thank you for your enthusiasm. So, so God wants us to live in this importation. Now, I'm not going to go through this, but in 1 John 2, verse 12 to 16, John writes and he says, he, says, he actually addresses different gen generations. <laughs> and for us to be a godly community, you and I need to know that that there's certain parts, even that younger, gen, that you as older people, I'm first speaking to the older people this morning, that means if you're over 24, you thought you're not old and you're 35, eh? But there's certain stuff that different generations should impart to each other. And we can actually, I can keep you busy for an hour just on this scripture. I'm going to just read it because it says every different generation, the little children, the young men and women, and the older, the fathers and the mothers, they can learn stuff from each other. They can impart stuff. A guy asked me, I did a wedding yesterday, and, and, he's, and he's been like away from the church, I think like 15 years. He's overseas in Canada. He's a doctor there. And he says to me, how do, how do you like, how do you keep on going? You know, how do you like stay young in spirit? I said to him, well, I'll never harden my heart. I said, God, give me a soft heart. Give me, you know, protect my heart, you know, because we're living in days where the devil wants to, like, make your heart harden through unforgiveness, through offense, through bitterness, because the moment when you say yes to a relationship, oh, watch out for offense, <laughs> because it means you're going to need to live close to other people that see right through you and say stuff that they shouldn't actually always say, but, hey, that's what relationship is about, being in that family, huh? How many of you grew up in a family? Among the ta over the table, what we say to each other, the broccoli flies, the Brussels sprouts, I don't know, 
The Brussels sprouts doesn't fly. It, it sort of just lies there and it stares at you and you have to kill it. I don't know. Brussels, have, how many of you like Brussels sprouts? The Lord forgive you. Yeah? For eating that stuff. I just get it till here, right there, and then it gets stuck. That round stuff. Huh? It gets stuck. I, I, oh, you know, it's just like, it's like oh, it's, it's, it almost tastes like a snail that's just rounder and it's just like so googie and stuff. But so... Don't interrupt me so much. Let's get to the scripture. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Children love forgiveness. They're very simple. They just like love the basic stuff. And you play around with kids and you realize like, whoa. They just like live life because they're quick to forgive. And I wonder, I, I, I work myself up for like two days to just ask my son for forgiveness because I lost my temper. And I walked into his room and I said, Will you please forgive me? He says, for what? I said, for, for losing my temper. He says, oh, long ago. Let's play Lego. But he was still small. Okay, <laughs> let's play Lego, you know. <laughs> but sometimes older people, we lose the ability to play. And that's why you need younger people around you. Just think of how fresh a family is if the kids are small. You just love them discovering life. But spiritually, it is exactly the same. You need the little children. I write you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Young men has got faith. Young women has got faith. They want to they learn. They want to make mistakes and need some other older people that can say, hey, you're going to be fine. It's going to be great. We're here with you. We're part of this community. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Lots of wisdom. Lots of things to impart. Just life. Being around. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love. And now listen to this. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It sort of almost contradicts itself. He speaks to these different generations, and then he just, poof, right in the middle says, Do not love the things of the world. Because that will rob you from ever being able to leave a legacy and import to other people. And he's sort of challenging these generations the younger generation says, hey, and I want to say first to the older people, don't think you don't have something to give. Don't go and retire somewhere where everything that you've learned is wasted. I love what the Japanese says. They, 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 they've got a saying. They say when an old man or an old lady dies, it's like a library that has burned down. But the ability to impart just life, just how do I make decisions? Who do I marry and how do I make stuff? This, I get those questions like thousands every week. <laughs> how do I hear the voice of God? How do I read the Bible? So, older people, young people, <laughs> you need to learn in that group context. How do I grow up and how do I respect older people? How do I esteem them? How do I build? How do I serve them? Don't just say, I've got a need and you must serve that need. Just go serve some older people. Ask some of the families, say, hey, can I come and look after your kids? I mean, who is that? Ivan. Okay, Ivan, you've got a couple of people that will help you. <laughs> Naomi, okay. But there's this, 
this place of living life together. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. It is crazy where the world is going. Everything is individualistic. Everybody's moving to cities. Everybody, the, the whole population is going into the cities. And, and people don't know how to live life together. They don't know how to sit around a table anymore. And there's an addiction that's more than heroin <laughs> that has crept into societies. And we need to get this out. Ooh. We need to teach people. It's crazy. We need to teach people how not to have a relationship with your cell phone, but have a relationship with other people. It's going to become part of the church. How do we build a relationship? And just, just to throw in something on the side here. We need to, we're going to need to have lots of churches going to be camping. <laughs> we need campsites. We need places where we can build together and just take Take young people and people into nature. Because God says his, his invisible attributes are clearly seen in nature. And so I want to encourage you families with young kids and friendship groups, go into nature. Make it a point. Don't sit in front of the television. Go into nature. Go and discover God. Do it together. Just, just do stuff together. Not just social stuff. But when we take the word of God and you stand over, you climb the mountain and you say Psalm 24, open up your gates over Stellenbosch. <laughs> Where we start to live life and, it, and it's a constant choice you and I have to make because, hey, that big word that guy said, Simon, is entitlement. I'm entitled to my life. I'm entitled to what I want. I'm entitled to my happy little family. And now I speak to the people with younger kids. Your kids should never be the center of your home. God should be. The moment when we idolize our kids, that the blessing of God then becomes an idol. God must be. So what is the elements of a biblical community? So I'm, I'm just shooting some stuff into the air and we're going to pray for each other. And we're going to talk a lot through this. How, how are we going to work this through? How are we going to live with the urgency to build a community? Because there's a, there's a massive tsunami of the world that's going to break. And if the church does not come to that place of positioning ourselves, we're going to be challenged. It means that you and I are going to need to live a life that's different. It's an open life. To open up our homes, to open up our families. Not just families, but also young people. You're gonna, we're going to need to open up our lives to others. Broken people, 60% of South African people come out of a divorced home. There are many students here with us tonight that's coming. The crazy thing is they don't know where to go to December. I've, I've got somebody living in, next to my home now. I've got a flat there that hasn't got parents. That's in the church, a student. <laughs> And it's, and it's crazy. And there's a family here that's also like taken that guy in. But that's what the church is going to be like. <laughs> a safe space for people with walls. But what, what is the elements of a biblical community? It's simply worship. God is number one. We are here to glorify him. And you can apply that same thing in your home. You have to worship together as families. You must take that. Don't, don't leave it to the church. Don't leave it to the small group. 
put on a CD, put on a DVD, but make that space consecrated space because that's part of a biblical community is worship is centered to what we do. It's to give God glory. I'm just running through this. The second thing is relationship. Trust relationships. Relationships that live open with each other. The Bible says submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. (laughs) Where there's a mutual submission with different giftings where we've set people apart, but you're not going to be afraid to be accountable. You're not going to be afraid to live an open life. And and people, this is scary because we don't want to live there. (laughs) We don't want to live our lives. We want to be in control and then even come to church and say, hey, that's good. I've worshipped and I'm, I'm continuing because I'm in control. Sure. But when we are a community, we can, sh- we can share in a trust environment. not saying we should be forced to do anything, but there's some shifts we need to make in our own hearts and our own lives. Because that's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what we see when Paul's heart, when he wants to impart and when he wants to, he says, I didn't just come to give you gifts. I've come to give my whole life. To impart to you so that my life can actually come and be a platform for you to live the calling of God out, that which is called you. And we're going to see families do that. We're going to see that, you know, it's like Donnie and his wife, sorry, they just invite people. Now, they're very good at hosting. And it's amazing. They just invite people and they minister and they, and they open up their homes. And maybe you're not that good. Maybe that's not like you're a very introvert type of person but that's fine then find a way some place where you can say i'm i'm going to still impart because i've got something to give shepherding sure part of a biblical community is where we realize there are also wolves and there are hirelings and shepherding means not just caring for people but caring for people with the word making sure the word is clear doctrine is understood And people know what does God say and who is God. So shepherding is like giving people the right food. Sure, I come from a sheep farm. I grew up on a sheep farm. But you know, sheep is not the most intelligent animals around. Anybody else from a sheep farm? Sure. You'll have like this whole field, uh, a lucerne field, green grass, on the one side and then you have like nothing on the other side now they've walked for a week on this field with just dry land and the others you've like given water so it's like flashy and green and now you take that sheep and you you put that sheep into that lucerne land with within two days they'll overeat themselves and they'll all blow up and die because their stomachs are not used to just fresh green grass So what do you do? You put them in there for an hour or two hours or half a day and then you take them out again and you make them, you learn how, what should they eat? You prepare a diet for them. But you know today, every Christian can just go on every little YouTube clip and listen to every sermon and run after every doctrine and the stuff out there is so crazy. And if we're not going to help people to shepherd them and say, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh, you know, like Paul did. No, 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 that guy. Don't listen to him. Uh, 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 no, 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 that guy. You know, it is crazy what you can just read today. And it takes people into deception. And that's the mark of the last days. Great deception will come. But that's the role of godly community. Is we need to be shepherds. Then discipleship and evangelism is reaching out and discipling a nation. Discipling a town. 
discipling individuals, reaching them, serving and sharing, not just the community that we're in, all things in common, but also the community out there, making a difference, social justice, and then a, a community that's visional and has a purpose. And so today I'm going to throw everybody a little bit into the deep end because I'm going to split the congregation in two. And we're going to do something prophetic. All the younger people, now this is where it's going to get difficult. Under the age of 80. <laughs> no. What we're going to, the younger people, I said, what are we going to do? <laughs> Under the age of, how many of you are over, over 22 years? How many of you are under 22 years of age? What if you're 22? You go to the younger group. Okay. So, <clears throat> the first thing we're going to do, and this is, this is a bit of prophetic, we're sharing a bit as to where the church should go, is you and I need to challenge ourselves and begin to say, okay, God, what, what, do, you, what do you want from me? What, where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to import? That's how we start. It's just simply, and it doesn't mean like do more stuff for the church. It's just simply a ability to be set apart and say, Lord, I want to I impart. Or I want to open up my heart. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.